0: Over the past three weeks, we've been talking about God's part in making sure you feel His favor. Today, we start part two, Our Responsibility. It begins with a chapter titled, Conquering Cynicism. Gary Wilkerson is the author of God's Favor. Gary is the president of World Challenge and the host of the Gary Wilkerson podcast. He also has a video devotional series we call 86 Seconds. You can find both at worldchallenge.org. God's Favor is brought to you by World Challenge transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. World Challenge is incredibly thankful for the support we receive from many people across the country who believe in our mission. We are able to continue creating resources like this podcast because of donations from listeners like you. You can make a donation at worldchallenge.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. And now, here's Chapter 4, Conquering Cynicism, read by Jason Staples. The Mental Discipline of Knowing God's Favor
1: I have a friend I've known for over 20 years, a guy who once ran an amazing ministry. When he started out, people came to Christ wherever he preached. Doors opened quickly for him to speak around the country, and as his outreach grew, Christians saw his impact for the gospel. Suddenly, people were lining up to give generously toward his work. Eventually, my friend was able to buy an office building for the growing support staff he needed. God was clearly blessing what this friend did, and we all rejoiced to see his tremendous impact for the gospel. What this friend experienced was a joy any minister would relish, to be able to speak for God and see his work transform hearts and lives. Then, at some point, the ministry stalled for no clear reason. My friend got fewer and fewer invitations to speak. The people who supported him began to drop off. Eventually, he had to lay off staff members and cut back his outreach. And the more he prayed about the obstacles he faced, the less his prayers seemed to be answered. We all have to realize that any blessed work we're handed is always God's, never ours. Whether or not you serve God in a formal ministry, any servant of his has to acknowledge up front that the Lord builds and the Lord brings down. It's his work, not mine. I have to be faithful to do what he puts in front of me, no matter how small or large. He is the force behind it all. I'm sad to say this wasn't the attitude of my friend. His disappointment over the loss of his ministry was so heavy he couldn't get past it. A seed of bitterness took root, and the shift in him was clear to everybody. I saw the changes in him every time we met. All of his talk about God was negative, and he made cutting remarks about people. It was so uncharacteristic that I had a hard time believing this was the same friend. He once believed God for great things and saw them come to pass. Now he quickly shut down any mention of God. No matter how much grace I showed him, he was committed to cynicism. He eventually became very hard to be around. There's no other way to put it. My friend's faith trajectory was dark. He had moved away from faith, confidence, and boldness to fear, cowardice, and withdrawal. He went from believing God for great things to not believing Him for anything at all. Finally, he was so discouraged and beaten down by his losses that he left ministry altogether. Maybe you know people like my friend. They used to be hopeful, forward-looking, generous toward others, trusting of God's sovereignty. But something in their lives took a turn, and suddenly they became negative. They're not just down on themselves, but eager to spread discouragement to others. If you tell them how God has blessed someone, they react with an array of negative answers. Sure, but do you know the other part of the story? He hasn't taken his hard knocks yet. If you're serious about God, you end up taking a lot of beatings. The person you're talking about is still immature in their Christian walk. Wait till they run into a brick wall. Then you'll see what they're really made of. We've all had disappointments in life to varying degrees, and it's easy to let our lingering questions turn into seeds of bitterness. Maybe the fiery faith you once had was diminished by a disappointment. Your confidence in God's favor took a hard knock and hasn't recovered. Now, as you look around at others who still seem to enjoy His favor, you feel a growing bitterness start to take root. Friend, you don't have to succumb to that. Thank God His Word gives us powerful examples of people who resisted cynicism. They all faced the same temptations toward bitterness we face today, and by God's powerful grace, they conquered them. The story of Elisha and the widow he helped— is a brilliant example of how cynicism can be conquered. Scripture says Elijah received a double portion of God's blessing. This simply means he was a man of unrelenting faith. And he set that faith into action when he met a widow who'd been dealt some of life's cruelest blows. This woman had lost her husband, the love of her life, and suddenly she had to provide for herself and two sons. Second Kings 4 tells us that his death left her so deep in growing debt that it would take her several lifetimes to pay it all back. As a pastor, I've counseled a lot of people who faced mountains of debt. Most of them didn't bring this on themselves. Sometimes it happened because they lost their job or medical bills started piling up. They got behind on payments, and soon they were drowning in a never-ending credit plunge. That's when the collector's calls started coming. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but calls from creditors are a psychological plague. They come at all times of day, early in the morning, at dinner time, and into the evening. They carry harsh messages and threats that the whole family hears on the answering machine. Being in that situation is a nightmare that happens to many good people who can't believe it's happening to them. They look back and wonder how this ever came to pass in their lives, and they see no way out of their dilemma. As discouraging as this can be, it's nothing compared to the threats this widow received. If she didn't pay her bills, she was going to lose more than her property. According to the law of the day, her creditors had the right to enslave her sons. Talk about an opportunity for bitterness to take root. The widow had already seen hardship beyond her imagining, and the frightening news about her son's potential enslavement could have frozen her heart with cynicism. She might have turned to Elisha in anger, railing, I prayed for my husband's healing, but he died. I prayed for God to help me find a way back out of debt, but it has grown so huge I can't pay it all back. Now my sons are about to become somebody's slaves. Tell me, Elisha, why should I cry out to God? He hasn't answered me for anything else. Why should I possibly believe he's going to rescue my sons from this fate? Go ahead, pray if you want, as if that's going to work. Cynicism is a know-it-all, seen-it-all attitude that cuts off belief in God's abilities on our behalf. Cynicism creates a joking spirit that accuses God about His goodness. A lot of cynical Christians think they're wiser than the rest of us. Their attitude conveys a superiority that says, You're just naive. If you knew what I knew, you wouldn't be so hopeful. It's frivolous to say, I believe God is moving in great ways. How can you possibly know whether He's moving at all? We don't know whether the Israelite widow had that kind of cynicism. If she did, Elisha stopped her from any opportunity to express it with his gentle offer to help. He immediately saw that she and her sons were hungry and had no food. Elisha's belief in the Lord's goodness led to an amazing intervention. 2 Kings 4.2-4 describes their exchange. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all, except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. Elisha's suggestion may have sounded a little crazy to the widow. Was she really supposed to stockpile empty jars while angry creditors were on their way to take her sons? A cynic would have scoffed at this, saying, Sorry, Elisha. You know what I've been through. Why put me through some crazy exercise? I tell you what, you fill this flask of oil first, then we'll see about whether I'll go around to my neighbors begging for jars like a madwoman. A remark like that can seem like simply the offhand reaction of a hurting person. But in reality, it's a lot more serious than that. It's an accusation against God's goodness. And it can have terrible consequences. Cynicism shuts all doors to God's work. If we aren't willing to move forward in faith, we cut off any hope for God to move in our lives. Fortunately, that's not what happened here. Elisha's faith evidently stirred this widow because as the next two verses tell us, she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her and then the olive oil stopped flowing. What a scene! Picture their excitement as the destitute house was suddenly filled with marvelous, miraculous oil. When they realized the great value of what they had, they must have jumped up and down crying, Look at what God can do! Hallelujah, Lord! When the work was finally finished, the widow raced to tell Elisha about the miracle. Elisha's response may seem calm on the page, But this prophet of God had to be overjoyed to tell the widow what God's plan had been all along. When she told the man of God, Elisha, what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. It was a miraculous intervention. Just like that, the widow's fortunes and her family's fate were changed forever by God's amazing provision. Yet this isn't what the story is about, not entirely. Rather, it's a picture of God's goodness and abundance and His desire to bless us with it. You see, oil is a powerful symbol in Scripture representing the Lord's overflowing blessings. The widow's story is a picture of God's endless, overflowing ability to care for His people in their most troubling crises. Today, because of Jesus, God is present with us even more than with this widow. Christ is our double portion— And He has promised to pour out His Spirit on us, just as He poured oil from heaven to bless this widow. In His goodness, He looks to fill us abundantly with all the faith, confidence, and boldness we need to face any trial. When we find ourselves at our lowest, we are to cling to Him in hope. Even a mustard seed of faith is able to bring down a tower of cynicism. God has set an appointed time when he'll move for us, but we can block that movement with cynicism. You may wonder, as I do, what if the widow hadn't gathered up all those jars? Would she have missed out on her miraculous deliverance? Matthew's gospel gives us the answer. Matthew 15.38 says, Jesus did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. What an astounding statement. The miracles that the Creator, Lord of the Universe, performed were fewer than they could have been, all because of the people's unbelief. You can almost see the cynicism dripping from people's words as they dismissed Jesus. Matthew 13, 54-57 says, He returned to Nazareth, His hometown. When He taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, Where does He get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. (laughs) He's just the carpenter's son, and we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. This passage makes clear that Jesus is never the problem whenever we face trials. The problem is our cynicism. It also tells us a lot about where the church stands today when it comes to believing the Lord is at work for us. Entire denominations have built their theology around the idea that God isn't active in people's lives, that he doesn't move in the world anymore. If Elisha were to go to them today, these leaders would look at each other, grin, offer a friendly pat on the prophet's shoulder and say, It all sounds great, Elisha, but that kind of thing doesn't fly here. God worked that way back in the day, but not anymore. Why don't you take your message to the church down the street? We're just fine without it. I don't question these denominations' sincerity, Or experience but their theology reduces God's living breathing word to a mere moral document they boil it down to a list of do's and don'ts a guide for living and they restrict the Holy Spirit to a voice we hear only at the point of our conversion but not afterward it denies God's living presence in the world what a terrible misrepresentation of our loving compassionate incarnate God He stands ready to pour on us His oil of abundance at all times. And He proves this again and again, both in Scripture and in the restored lives of our hope-filled brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a blessed hope we don't dare give up. I witnessed the importance of maintaining hope when one of my sons fell in love. My son Evan tried to regain hope after a series of failed dating relationships. He was tired of trying to make things work only to see them end in disaster. So he committed it all into the Lord's hands. God, I only want your will, he prayed. About that time, a young woman began attending our church, and Evan was drawn to her. Normally, the pain of a badly bruised heart might have made him hesitant. But having committed his all to God, he trusted that the stirrings might be real and might lead to something good. He had faith that God would lead his steps. Evan decided to approach her at church, And as they talked, he felt a deep connection between them. He immediately had feelings for her, and the more they talked, Evan realized he was borderline in love. Shortly after that, Evan learned she was about to take a trip to see her family in New Mexico, where she grew up. He wanted to be careful to pursue her in a way that was honest and honored the Lord. So he decided to write her a letter and let her know his feelings. She left on her trip, and Evan heard nothing from her. No text, no email. Nothing about the letter where he poured out his heart. All communication stopped. Evan started to worry. Had he been wrong to write her? With every silent day that passed, the old feelings of hopelessness surfaced. Still, Evan clung to God. He got on his knees again. "'Lord, this is going nowhere,' he prayed. "'If it isn't your will for us to be together, then don't let her contact me. But if it is your will, I pray that I would hear from her.' Before Evan could say, Amen, his phone rang. He looked down at the screen, and it was her. Faith surged in Evan's heart. To him, it was a clear answer from a faithful God. My son doesn't believe in setting out fleeces, actions that test God to see whether he'll answer. Evan believed the timing of that call was the Lord telling him, You asked me to be in control of this, and I am. But there were still hurdles ahead. Her communication to Evan was shaky, and she didn't return his feelings. Then, Evan saw on Facebook that she was hanging out with an old love interest in her hometown. It shook him. So he called her. It's nothing, she assured him, but the familiar feelings of failure crept in and he lost it. He messaged her on Facebook and it was harsh. I don't want to see you again, he wrote. Evan was broken hearted. And he projected all his past experiences onto her. It didn't take him long to realize what he did was wrong but the damage was irreparable. He anguished over it. Then he remembered the timing of the phone call and how God touched him through that. He shook his head at how he was acting now. Lord, this doesn't make sense, he prayed. You kept your promise to me. I made it impossible. But your will makes it possible for us to be together. Eventually, there was another phone call and the couple talked. I don't believe those things you said, she told him. I think God has something for us. Through it all, even his own failure, Evan trusted that God was faithful. I'm so proud that my son didn't give in to cynicism. Instead, he gave birth to hope that led to true blessing. Some time ago, I officiated at this amazing couple's wedding. A wonderful young woman named Carmen now graces our family. Cynicism is contagious. When God chose Moses to lead his people to freedom, He did several things to build Moses' confidence in the face of that task. He spoke to Moses audibly. He showed him a sign through a burning bush. He gave him the words needed to convince Israel that they would be delivered from Pharaoh. Imagine Moses' excitement at this news. I can picture him rejoicing. After all these years in bondage, God is moving on our behalf. He's about to set us free. So what happened when Moses delivered the message? Israel's elders scoffed at Moses, saying, "'Our people have slaved in this iron furnace for over 400 years. "'We've cried out to God for generations with no answer. "'Now you say God spoke to you and he's on the move? "'Sorry, Moses, but how do you expect us to take you seriously?' Moses' response was telling. He turned to God and asked, "'Lord, if my own people don't believe me, how will Pharaoh react? "'I don't even speak well. I stutter when I talk.' You picked the wrong guy for this. He had approached the Israelites with a fired up faith, but now he faltered from doubt because he absorbed the people's cynicism. What a terrible picture of how contagious cynicism can be! It happens in Christian families all the time. If kids don't see their parents believing God, they're tempted to give up believing too. Then, to keep from despairing, they turn to a screen and enter a fantasy world, or to sex or drugs or other addictions. Cynicism is also contagious in churches. When a congregation stops believing God is at work in the world, they turn from an intimate walk with Jesus and start to emphasize works or moralism. Yet all the while, God never stops calling them into the more powerful transformative work of His kingdom. As Proverbs 13.12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Thank God Moses didn't allow cynicism to stick. Instead, he offered his heart to God in faith. That led to one of the most powerful deliverances of a people in world history. God knows your circumstances, and He is for you. Are you willing to move forward in faith to gather up jars for oil? Will you resist the contagion of our time and believe God is good? Will you accept that God's favor never leaves you, no matter how threatening your circumstance or how accusing your thoughts? Join me in prayer to conquer the cynicism threatening so many followers of Jesus. Lord, my faith barely registers anymore. But you have the power to take away my unbelief. Please stop the negative flow of thoughts through my mind. Stop me from using the caustic words I've grown used to saying. Help me to speak kindly and generously, believing in your goodness. I offer my heart to you to remove everything that hinders me. I've been blind to your favor in my life. Please restore my sight to your goodness. I want to see you move mightily again.
0: You've been listening to Chapter 4 of God's Favor, read by Jason Staples. This podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Your support makes a difference. We would not be able to create podcasts like this one without generous listeners like you. Please consider donating to power the mission and make World Challenge resources like this podcast possible. You can make a donation on our website, worldchallenge.org. Next week on God's Favor, taking a stand for Jesus can change things forever. Until then, we hope you're experiencing the life God wants you to have.